Hey, today we're in part three of In the Wild. Would you guys say In the Wild? Yeah, we're in part three of In the Wild, and we have been talking about some incredibly wild stories from the Old Testament, from the book of Daniel. And from the beginning of Daniel, we learned a couple of really key things. We learned from the very beginning that God is in control, and he can be trusted with your life. And he can be trusted with the big moments of your life, and he can be trusted with the small moments of your life. He can be trusted with the, the moments that you know are significant, and he can be trusted with the moments where you don't really feel like it's a significant moment, but it's just a day-to-day stuff. And what we found out is that actually those moments tend to be the moments that become really significant when we place them into the hands of a loving and holy God. So we learned that God is in control and can be trusted with the details of your life. Last week, we learned that God can be trusted even when you go through the fire. We learned that God is, that God stays, that God is, is a God who stays fully or takes full responsibility for the life that's fully devoted to him. That when we give God every moment, every day, and when we trust God, that God can be tested, God, or when we, when we trust that God can be tested, God shows up in the middle of our test and shows that he actually actually can be trusted. From the story of the, of the, the fiery furnace, that's where we, where we were last week, that Nebuchadnezzar, this king of Babylon, threw three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. And while they thought, okay, this might be the end, this might be the end, but wait, we are going to keep, keep trusting God, that God might just show up even in the middle of the fire. And that we learn that God is not, the, the, the goodness of life does not determine the goodness of God, that God can be good and you can be going through a fire and you can be going through a trial and you can be going through a terrible situation and God can still be good and God can still be in control. Control, and God will ultimately use those situations if we'll stay faithful to him. God will use those situations and those moments to show himself faithful to us. Now today, again, I want to jump right into the scripture because today is, is just an, another incredible story. And I say today's an incredible story because I actually, I actually think this is the most incredible thing that happened in the book of Daniel. When you, when you kind of read some of the stories and you think, okay, these guys were in captivity in a foreign land and there's a foreign king. So there's going to be foreign gods. And sometimes these foreign kings who serve foreign gods, they had, had, had tempers. Like last week does not seem like an out there story. Like, oh, this king got mad and threw some guys in a furnace. Yeah, like that kind of makes sense. What we're about to read today is something that's really, really incredible because it's actually written by King Nebuchadnezzar. And if you didn't know that there was something written by Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible, this is going to be something that's going to maybe open your eyes a little bit. This is what happened in Daniel chapter five, uh, or sorry, Daniel chapter four. Uh, when really quickly, before, before we read this, I want to teach you one phrase and I want you to repeat one phrase with me because this is a phrase that's going to come up over and over again. So would you say this after me? Say, the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of man and gives them to whoever he chooses. Let's try it one more time, which is a little more excitement. The most high is sovereign. I like that. That was good. Over the kingdoms of man and gives them to whoever he chooses. Here's the story. Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4 says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, may your prosperity increase. I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders the Most High God has done for me. Now that line that says King Nebuchadnezzar, that's who this is from. That's who's writing. That's who's, that's, that's, this is who the letter is from. That's who these words are from. King Nebuchadnezzar is about to tell you what, what miracles the Most High God has done for him. Anyone intrigued yet? This is intriguing. He says, how great are his miracles and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom and his dominion is from generation 
to generation. King Nebi wrote that. And what we're about to read, this is going to get real interesting. It's a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. He said, in verse 4, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. Now, you know you're balling pretty good if you've got to delineate that you were in your house that's inside your palace, okay? If you've got a house inside, your life's going pretty good for you, all right? He says, I had a dream. Would you guys say dream? I had a dream and it frightened me. While in my bed, the images and visions in my, my mind alarmed me. Now, you know how sometimes you have a dream like there's a dragon who's eating your spouse's face and you're like, you know what, it's okay. It seemed like it was a fairly playful dragon. Like, it's okay. And then other times you see like, a, like, like you have a dream and it's a butterfly and you're like, oh, that butterfly was really, really menacing. That's what's going on here. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he wakes up kind of going, that was kind of like the, 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 the menacing butterfly thing. It wasn't the playful dragon. Like he's, he's disturbed by what happened and what he saw in his dream. So in verse six, it says, so I issued a decree to bring all the wise men of Babylon to me in order that they might make the dream's interpretation known to me. When the magicians, mediums, Chaldeans, and diviners came in, I told them the dream, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. Finally, Daniel named Belteshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him, came before me. I told him the dream. Belteshazzar, head of the magicians, because I know that you have the spirit of the holy gods and that no mystery puzzles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I saw and its interpretation. In the visions of my mind, as I was lying in my bed, I saw this. And now here's the dream. There was a tree in the middle of the earth, and it was very tall. The tree grew large and strong, its top reached to the sky, and it was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit was abundant, and on it was food for all. Wild animals found shelter under it, the birds of the sky lived in its branches, and every creature was fed from it. As I was lying in my bed, I also saw in the visions of my mind a watcher, a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called out loudly, "'Cut down the tree and chop off its branches.'" Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit and let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. He said, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it in the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share the plants of the earth with the animals. Let his mind be changed. If you're thinking this is kind of getting weird and trippy, it's going to go a little bit further. Let his mind be changed from that of a human and let him be given the mind of an animal for seven periods of time. This word... Again, this is in the dream still. This word is by decree of the watchers and the decision is by command from the holy ones. This is so the living will know that the most high is ruler over, over human kingdoms. He gives them to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of people over them. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, now Daniel... Tell me the interpretation, because none of the wise men of my kingdom can make the interpretation known to me. But you can, because you have a spirit of the holy gods. Now, just, just throwing this out there, wouldn't it be amazing if in your workplace, your boss was so impressed with you that he knew there was something that God had done in your, in your life because of your actions and because of your wisdom and because of your intellect and because of your work ethic, that, that this foreign king who does not believe in Daniel's God goes, I believe that God is in you. And I believe because of what I've seen in you, because I've watched you, because I've, you've been around me for a while, I know that you're a person who God resides in. This is pretty incredible. But even more incredible, this is, this is, this is the dream. 
Now, an emperor king had a disturbing dream about a tree that spread out all, all over the world with food for everyone and everyone finding rest and shade in it. And then a heavenly watcher or maybe an angel comes and declares to the universe, cut down the tree. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> right? What could possibly go wrong? Does anyone in here seem like they might have an idea who and what this dream is about? Maybe a little bit about King Nebi. King Nebi. It's about King Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, it, 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 might, it might just be about the emperor king who's the tree, whose branches are spread out through the whole world. So then it says this in verse 19, then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was stunned. Would you guys say stunned? Was stunned for a moment and his thoughts alarmed him. The king said, Belteshazzar, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Now, this is biblical comedy. This is, this is King Nebuchadnezzar woke up so disturbed by his dream that he called all of the people who he thought could interpret the dream to come like, hey, all, all royal business stops until we get this dream interpreted. He's obviously disturbed enough that he wants to find out what this dream means. When he tells it to Daniel, Daniel seems to know what the dream is all about. Daniel is incredibly disturbed. And King Nebuchadnezzar is like, hey, man, and don't worry about this. This is like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be all right. Like you don't have a reason to worry. And then Daniel says something that's real. Now, now be, or sorry, before we get there, I just, I just want us to realize something here. This is a moment where, where again, I think most of us, when we hear Nebuchadnezzar had this dream about this tall tree that spread out and covered the entire world while he was an emperor king, trying to spread his kingdom over the entire world. Most of us, we can hear that. And if we put enough thought into it, we go, I think this might just be a dream that's about King Nebuchadnezzar. And I would guess that Daniel was not the only person in the kingdom who knew what was going on in this dream. I would imagine every wise person, every magician, every whatever, every dream interpreter that Nebuchadnezzar told this dream to, I would guess they all had a pretty good idea of exactly what this dream meant, don't you? I would, I would guess that every single person hearing this would go, I, th I think I know what that meant, but I think they also lived in a kingdom where you don't want to tell Nebuchadnezzar news that he doesn't want to hear. And in the middle of this, Nebuchadnezzar is going, well, this dream is about someone. It's troubling, but it can't be about me because, I, like, because I, I, you know, I'm, I'm royal, I'm powerful, and nothing can possibly take me down. And I just think it's important for us to remember here this, this simple principle. You will be broken by 100% of the things that you refuse to admit about yourself. You will, and I, and I will, that every single one of us, we have blind spots and we have things that, that we, we, you know, people have talked to us about and people have said, this is an issue, this is an issue, this is an issue. And we go, no, that's not an issue. That's not a thing. Like, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that. Like, that's not, a, that's not like a thing. I mean, I, I, thanks for bringing it to my attention, but like, you don't need to worry about that. For King Nebuchadnezzar, it was his pride. It was like, look, you've got an issue with pride where you think that you are God. You think that you are the most high. You think that you can actually set yourself up against God. And King Nebuchadnezzar had literally just seen, you know, a, a few years back in the episode of the fiery furnace, had literally seen God save his people, had said the words, no one can save like their God, and then had continued to go about his own way saying, well, I'm pretty much as good as God. And so he, he's, he, he now has this dream where God comes to him in, in this dream and God disturbs him in his dream, trying to wake him from his slumber. And he's going, wow, that dream was disturbing. That dream was disturbing. I wonder who it was about. Nebuchadnezzar could not admit to himself that while he had done a, a lot of great things, he was not equal to God in heaven. 
and it was an an issue. And God sent him a warning, and he sent him a warning, and he sent him a warning. But I want to just make sure that we all understand there are things in in every one of our lives that if we won't admit to ourselves that it's an issue, it will continue to break us. It will continue to wreck us. It will continue to to destroy relationships. It will continue to destroy destroy us from the inside out. It might be be that you go, you know, I don't have a problem with online shopping. And I just want to say, if you're on a first-name basis with your UPS delivery guy, you might have a problem with online shopping. It's, it's just possible. If, it might be that, you know what, lots of people drink the way that I do. And yeah, lots of people might drink the way you do, but for you, it's an issue. It might be, I'm just the person who says what everyone else is thinking. And I, and I get in trouble for, okay, well, maybe you don't need to say what everyone else is thinking. If it gets you in trouble at work, if it gets you in trouble at home, maybe you don't need to say what everyone else is thinking. It might be, well, if every wife I know talks to her husband that way, yeah, but if it's causing conflict between you and your husband, maybe, it, maybe you don't need to talk the way that everyone else talks to their husbands. It might be an unrealistic, unattainable dream that you keep striving for and you end up disappointed and heartbroken over and over and over again while you're striving and stretching for something that you may never be able to attain. It might be something where you just go, I have this issue and until you can admit and until you can own up and take responsibility that this is an issue, it will continue to break you. It could be a lot of different things, but I'll say this, if it's causing problems, it will stay a problem until you acknowledge there's a problem. And you won't move forward until you can admit that there's an issue and you won't find healing until you can accept that there's a broken place in your life. And for Nebuchadnezzar, this was a warning. This was a wake-up call. This was, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, you've got an issue of pride. And if you will refuse, if you keep refusing to address it, God's going to do something about it. So in verse nine, the second half of verse 19, Belteshazzar, or Daniel, answered, My Lord, may the dream apply to those who hate you and its interpretation to your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew large and strong, whose top reached to the sky and who was visible to the whole earth and whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals lived in its branches. The birds of the sky lived. That tree is who? That tree is you. You the tree. You the tree, man. That tree is you, your majesty, for you have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown and even reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the ends of the earth. And then Daniel goes on, he says, The king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it in the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share food with the animals for seven periods of time. And then Daniel says, This is the interpretation your majesty, and this is the decree of the Most High that has been issued against my Lord the King. You, you will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle. You're thinking, wait, what? Yeah. Daniel is saying, look, God has decided that your mind has made you strong and your mind has made you prideful. So he's going to twist your mind. You're actually going to lose your mind. You're going to think you belong not with human beings, but you belong with cattle. You're going to not eat what humans eat. You're going to eat from the grass like other wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time. If you're wondering what, what that means, if that phrase sounds, it sounds weird, that is a weird phrase. What does it mean to be drenched with dew from the sky or drenched with the dew of heaven? What that refers to in, in ancient Babylon, they would refer to someone who was exceptionally hairy from head to toe as someone who was drenched with dew from heaven. So what, we, what, we're, what we're to understand is that Nebuchadnezzar was not a particularly hairy man, but for the next season of his life, while he lost his mind, he was also going to go through some bodily changes where he would look more like a wild animal. He would become incredibly 
hairy. And he says, you'll be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time, or for other words, seven years, until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms, and he gives them to anyone he wants. As for the command to leave the tree stump with its roots, your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you acknowledge that heaven, what's that next word? Rules. That heaven rules. Therefore, and then he says, therefore, may my advice seem good to you, my king. And king, you asked for an interpretation. I'm going to give you an interpretation with a little bit of advice attached, okay? May my advice seem good to you, my king. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right and from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps, perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. He says, oh, king, you asked for an interpretation. Unfortunately, here's the interpretation. You're about to lose your mind. You are going to lose your mind. And you're not going to lose your mind because you, because you magically, you know, because in some way you, that you could have controlled and that you could have stopped, that you just you got a little bit dull. No, God is actually going to take away your mind and take away your ability to think the way that you, that you have thought because he wants to teach you something and he wants to teach the entire world something through you. You're going to lose your mind. You're going to become like an animal. You're going to eat in the fields like the grass. People that you know and people that now sit down and bow before you will wonder what happened to you. They will think, oh my gosh, he has lost his mind and they'll be right. You're a prideful man and unfortunately all of your accomplishments have fueled your ego and have fueled your pride. And since you have chosen not to humble yourself, God is about to humble you before the entire world and before your entire kingdom and before all of your royal officials. And then he says, but, but I just want to let you know, before, before, you, before you even lose your mind, in, ca- in, case, like, in case you lo- would lose your mind and not be able to think of anything else, here's a thought that I want you to know. This is the way out. I'm gonna, God gave him the way out in advance. God said, here's the way out, that when you decide, that when you wake up and realize this, this is the moment that your mind will be restored to you. He said, when you can acknowledge that heaven rules, not you, when you can acknowledge that there is a higher power and a higher authority than you, when you can wake up and acknowledge and admit to the reality that you are not all there is, and when you can humble yourself, when you can acknowledge that heaven rules, not Babylon rules, that heaven rules, not Nebuchadnezzar rules, that God rules, not Nebuchadnezzar rules, that most high God rules, not you. When you can acknowledge that and understand that reality, your mind will be restored to you. That's your way out. And so God gave it to him in advance. And Daniel made sure to remind him, this is your way out. That if you want to shorten the time frame, if you want it to not be seven years, but you want it to be four years, if you want it to be five years, like if, if, if you want to wake up any given day and want this to no longer be your reality, all you have to do is acknowledge that heaven rules. And then Daniel says, and if you want some advice, if you want some advice, humble yourself. Choose humility. Maybe, just maybe, Daniel says, in in the middle of a world that did not know grace and to a a king who did not know grace, to a king who, I mean, we, we talked about this last week. When you did something Nebuchadnezzar didn't like, he threatened to throw you in a furnace. When you said something that, that, that wasn't okay with Nebuchadnezzar, he threatened to, to kill all of your family, rip you limb from limb and make your house a garbage dump. Grace was not part of Nebuchadnezzar's equation. But Daniel says, Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, I just want to let you know, if you'll humble yourself and if you'll choose humility, 
maybe just maybe God, this same God who has spoken to you and given you this warning, will show you grace. And he'll extend your prosperity and maybe just maybe what has been predicted will not happen to you. And this is just a a thing that I think we should all be reminded of at some point along the way. It is far better to choose humility before God than for God to teach it to you. It's far better for us to choose humility before wonderful, amazing, all-powerful authority in heaven, holy God, than for God to feel like, you know what? I think I need to teach that guy some humility. It's far better to choose it than to be taught it. I remember when I, um, when I first started preaching, um, this is just going to give you a little insight into me and to my world. Um, when I first started preaching and got my first few preaching opportunities, um, they all went really well. Like my first three preaching opportunities, they, they went really well. And, I, and I'm a guy, like when I was first starting out preaching, I was incredibly nervous about it. And so when it went well, I was surprised. Like, does that, does that make sense? Anyone? I don't know if that makes sense, but like I, it, I was nervous about it and then it went well and I was surprised. And after, the, after about the third time, I just kind of got a little bit arrogant about it. I, I, I got this feeling of like, well, I guess I'm just really good at preaching. I have no reason to be nervous. And, I've, and I got rather arrogant and I started carrying this like, you know, like, huh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just good at this. And I started to think, you know, I, mean, I just kind of started to think that I was hot snot, you know? Like, I mean, I don't know if that's an expression that you guys use, but that's an expression that I use from time to time. And I started to think that I was hot snot when it came to, to preaching and I, that, that, I, that I could do no wrong. And so there was my third time preaching in, in, in the youth group that I interned at in, in Minneapolis. And it was a big youth group. And so it was like, you know, I, I spoke well in front of a lot of people. And I was like, man, this is, this is going good. And I told the youth pastor that I was interning under, I was like, man, Ryan, I'm telling you, what? Like, this is, like, I think I'm really made for this. I think you give me whatever you want. Like, give me the most boring thing in the world that you don't want to talk about, but needs to be talked about. You give me that, and I think I'll do a fantastic job, and it'll be amazing, and everyone will be amazing. Like, people will get saved off of the most boring sermon because I'll make it so amazing. Like, I said these words out loud, which is ridiculous. And so he told me, he said, all right, well, here's your next assignment. In, in six weeks, you're going to preach a sermon about the history of the Bible. You can't give an altar call. You can't do any application. For 30 minutes, all you get to do is talk about the the history of the Bible because you need to learn some humility. And I said, deal, I'll do it. And it'll be so, I mean, I said, you know, I had this guy who I loved and trusted saying, you need to learn some humility. And to that, I said, deal, challenge accepted, and I'm going to blow it out of the water. That's, that, that's where I was at this point as a 21 year old. And I, and I was just like, I'm going to do it. And, And can I tell you what happened? I nailed it. I knocked it out of the park. Like I, I, that next sermon, I was like, wow, I'm even surprising myself how well it went. Like, like I didn't give an altar call, but kids came up afterwards and were like, you know what? I think I want to know this Jesus. And I was like, I have to give an altar call after the service is over because these kids wanted to come to know Jesus because of my amazing sermon. And so I was, I was just so like, man, I'm, I'm the, I'm the man. Like I'm the man. And, 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 I, and, and this moment that was supposed to teach me humility and supposed to be the way that I was supposed to learn humility ended up fueling my ego even a little bit more. And so in four weeks later, he, what Ryan should have done, he should have said, you know, Chris, until you learn humility, you don't get to preach again. And instead he was like, okay, something's going to happen and something's, he's going to learn this somewhere along the way. We're going to keep him preaching. So he gave me another time to preach in about, in about four weeks. And four weeks later, I, I went into this message feeling just, you know, incredibly, incredibly confident. And um, a couple of things happened. Um, the first thing that happened was when I started to preach, um, someone, tap, uh, someone like whispered, hey, your fly's down. And I looked down and sure enough, my fly was down. 
And then once I zipped my pants up in front of 200 teenagers, which is not like the best way to start a message, um, once I got into the message, I had to change microphones four times. Like, like my microphone wouldn't work, had to change it out, got picked up a new one. What, like worked for about three minutes, had to replace, had to like change out. I, I ended up going through five different microphones in this message. Nothing flowed well. I was so embarrassed that my pants had been, uh, that my pants had, had been unzipped. I didn't recover for the entirety of the message. I, like, and, and just to, if, to give you a little perspective, I, I had also been dumped about two weeks prior to this. And so like, I'm just like in an emotional state at, at this moment. And my zipper was down and I nothing flowed right. I ended up at the end of that message, not giving an altar call. I put, I, I said, all right, amen, bye. And I walked off the stage and I ended up in the back room crying. And my youth pastor that I was interning under, Ryan, he came back to me and said, you doing okay? And I said, no, I'm not doing particularly well, Ryan. Have you ever seen me cry before? And he said, no. But I kind of, and he said, but I kind of like it. I was like, I was like, get out of here, get out of here. And I remember the re, the biggest reason that I that I was so like, I mean, I was like, okay, got dumped. This went badly. I remember feeling in that moment, and Ryan didn't need to say it. He 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 said it because he was a good pastor. I remember knowing in my heart of hearts at that moment, this was God sticking His finger in my chest and saying, people have tried to talk to you about your pride and you have not listened. This happened so that you would learn that not all of life is about you. And I'm just saying, for some of us in the room, it's far better for us to choose humility than to have God need to teach it to us. When God teaches, God, God, like God's a really good instructor. God knows exactly how to get to your heart and how to get to your mind. And he knows what will help you learn humility that you refuse to learn on your own. And it's far better to choose humility than to have to learn it from a holy, perfect instructor God. So here's what happens. Verse 28 says, All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, so a year went by, so one year went by. At the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, the king exclaimed, Is this not Babylon the great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory? <laughs> Can you even imagine? Like, this is one of those moments where you're like, oh, you dummy. Like, I mean, like, and again, now, now, we, now we read this and we're like, okay, but dude, like two verses ago, you had someone telling you, choose humility, choose humility, choose humility. And it's not two verses later in life. It's a year later in life. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he humbled himself. He thinks he's in the clear. He thinks, wow, I must have done what God wanted me to do. I must have gotten rid of that pride issue. I must have done it because God didn't yet send me away, send me out to live in the middle of nowhere. I'm not, I'm not a hairy beast man. I'm not eating from the grass. God must be okay with what I have been doing. I am in the clear. And he looks out from, again from his palace and he looks at the hanging gardens of Babylon and he looks at the, the temples that he built and he looks at the cities and he thinks about everything that he's built and he goes, Am I not like the man? How awesome am I? And he says it in secret. He says it in private. He doesn't even say it to anyone else. But he records his own thoughts that out loud, while looking at everything he built, he was like, check me out. Check out me and the stuff that I have done. So it says this in verse 31. 
while the words were still in the king's mouth. If, if life had a soundtrack, this is where the Jaws music comes on, okay? This is where the minor chords start playing. This is where the minor chords with a whole bunch of dissonance and it doesn't even make sense. This is where that all kicks in. While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that... The most high is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. If you're starting to feel like maybe there's one thing that God really wanted everyone to learn through this story, until you acknowledge that the most high is ruler over the human kingdoms, he gives them to anyone he wants. At that moment, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. When God makes a decision, by the way, he doesn't waste any time. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. Gross. Weird. That's bizarre. But this is what happened. There's actual, there's actual evidence that this happened in the kingdom of Babylon. There's evidence that King Nebuchadnezzar or one of the, or one of the Babylonian kings left his post because he lost his mind and he left the kingdom. And this, is not just, this is not a Bible story. This is a thing that happened. This, what, here's, what we should know from this and, and just recognize from this, God observes the private moments the same as he does the public moments. The, those things that you have that are just kind of in your heart and you don't say out loud because you know it's too bad to say out loud, but you still think it and you still believe it. The things that you say to your wife when no one else is around, the things that you say to your husband when no, no one else is around, the frustration you deal with with your kids or with your job and you won't say it out loud because you know you shouldn't say it out loud, but the things that you deal with and the things that you carry on the inside and you haven't dealt with because you know it's just an inside thing and you're hoping it'll go, and it, go away and you hope it'll go away. God knows that just the same as he knows the stuff that you say out loud. And God judges and God watches and God's paying attention to that stuff just the same as he's paying attention to all the public stuff. It says this in verse 34. This is the turning point of the story. Verse 34, but the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and I honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? This is big. From the lips of an emperor king, from the quill of an emperor king, that, that, a, that a king who had conquered huge, vast parts of the ancient world would say, okay, I just want everyone to know, this wasn't my God coming into this whole thing. But after God humbled me, I've come to understand that he's a king like no other. He's a king that's above me as a king. He's a king that when he wants to, he can snap his fingers and he can humble me. His kingdom will reign forever. Nebuchadnezzar's looking going, there's a shelf life to my life. I will end. God's kingdom will keep going on. There's a kingdom that I rule and I reign and I have people who will question my authority. And sure, I might send them into a fire, but no one questions God's authority. I mean, this, this emperor king from a foreign land comes to recognize God's ultimate authority. And then he says, at that time, my sanity returned to me and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom and even more greatness came <laughs> to me, which is kind of seems like it missed the point a little bit. All right. And even more greatness came to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of heaven, because all his works are true 
and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. End of chapter. End of story. It's crazy, right? Again, Nebuchadnezzar, foreign king, throwing Hebrew boys into fiery furnace, kind of predictable. Next week, you know, we're going to get to the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Like foreign king, throwing guys who won't do what he wants to the lions, that's kind of predictable. A foreign king who did not believe in the Hebrew God, did not believe in Israel's God, did not believe in Daniel's God, did not believe in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God, did not believe in any of their God, and actually went to war believing that his God was fighting their God and that his God had defeated their God, recognizes in a moment, in an unmistakable way, yeah, I'm not really all there is. And everything that I have, it ultimately came from God. And everything that I ultimately have will be judged by, by God of how I use it and how I use it for, to, to, for, for, for what he wanted me to use it for. He goes, in this moment, unmistakably, I recognize that I'm not the ultimate authority. God is the ultimate authority. And here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line for, t- for today from this story. The bottom line is simply this, that your life is a stewardship. It is temporary and you're accountable. Your life is a stewardship. It's temporary and you're accountable. Could we, matter of fact, could we say that or just repeat that after me on the, on the count of three? Say, your life is a stewardship. It is temporary and you're accountable. Now we're going to try it one more way that, that's going to make it maybe hopefully a little bit more personal. Would you say, my life is a stewardship? It is temporary and I'm accountable. Let me kind of break that down a little bit. That word stewardship, because that's not a word that we use a whole lot in our culture today. The word stewardship means simply something has been given to you for you, and has been placed into your trust, into your hands for a reason, for a purpose. Something is given to you for a short period of time and you have a responsibility to use it well for the person who gave it to you. Your life is a stewardship. Everything that you have, it came from somewhere and from someone, and neither of those people is you. Everything you have, it came from somewhere and somewhere isn't you, and it came from someone and someone isn't you. You are not your source. You are not your own source. Your family wasn't your idea. Your family was God's idea. Your marriage, your kids, they were not your idea. I mean, you might think like, well, I woke up one day and I just decided, well, we want us to have, we want to have kids. And you think that that's wonderful. You think that you're the reason that you have kids. You are not the ultimate reason that you have the kids you have. God is the reason you have the kids that you have. You can blame God for that all you want. You can thank God for that all you want, but you are not the reason you have the kids that you have. Your kids have been placed into your hands by God. Your marriage is not ultimately because of you. Your marriage is God's idea. Your intelligence didn't come from you. And as wonderful as your parents are, and as smart as your parents were, your intelligence didn't ultimately come from your parents. Your intelligence came from God. Your job is not merely a result of your hustle and your interview skills. It came from God. And if you're thinking, no, 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 I think I got the, the thing because of my interview skills. Well, where'd you get the interview skills? Oh, probably God. Yeah. 
When it comes to this church, like this, this church, as much as I'm the pastor and I'm the guy who physically started it, it wasn't my idea and the resources that were used to get the good equipment that we have to start strong, they didn't come from me either. That this church was God's idea before it was my idea. That God gave us everything that we needed more than I gave everything that we needed. That everything that we have, it's a stewardship. Nothing we have, everything that we have, it didn't come from us. It wasn't given, it was given for a reason. And when the reason is accomplished, I don't take the credit. That's what happens when you're a steward. That's what happens when something is placed in your hands for a season and for a reason, and you ultimately answer to someone else. It's not your idea. It's God's idea. You are a steward of your family. You are a steward of your kids. You're a steward of your classroom where you're a teacher. You're a steward of your small group that you lead. You're a steward of your relationships with your family. You're a steward of your car when you're driving. You're a steward. Everything that you have, it was given to you for a reason by God. It was given to you for a reason. It was given for a reason. And when the reason has been accomplished and when the purpose has been accomplished, you don't get to take the credit. God gets the credit. That's what it means to be a steward. So your life is a stewardship. Everything you have has been given by God and it's been given for a reason and it's been given for a season, which means it's temporary. Would you guys say temporary? Everything in life, everything in life has a shelf life. Everything in life has a shelf life. For those of us who are parents with small kids, I just want to, this is something that I've been reminding myself of a lot lately. Being a parent of, of, of young kids has a shelf life. There will be a day where my kids are no longer young kids. There will be a day where my young kids turn into elementary school kids and I don't have the time that I have with them now. There'll be a day when those elementary school kids turn into middle school kids and they develop attitudes and they develop armpits that smell and they develop stuff where you're just like, I don't even know if I want to be around you. I used to want to cuddle you all the time. Now, please go away. Like, you know, and they're like, fine, I, I want to go away. There'll be a moment where those middle school kids turn into high school kids and there'll be a moment where those high school kids hopefully turn into college kids or military kids or kids who get their own jobs and move out of your house and you'll miss it. And, and, and it, it, I'm just telling you, everything in life has a shelf life. Your singleness has a shelf life. Those of you guys who are single in the room today and you're like, why is he talking about kids? Because I have kids. Your singleness though has a shelf life. In other words, probably there will be a day where you will no longer be single, where you will be married. And when you're married, if you're not careful, you, 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 or while you're single, you'll think, well, someday, 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 life can be really good because I'll be married. Yay! And you will have missed the goodness maybe that God wanted to accomplish in your life while you were in the season where you were single. And if you're not careful, you will get to what, the portion of your life where you're married and you'll spend all of your time thinking, well, someday, 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 life will get better, life will get better because I'll be married. And you'll be in the habit, habit of thinking, well, someday, well, someday, well, someday, well, someday. And you'll start to wonder about, maybe I made the wrong, wrong choice getting married. I really enjoy, like I missed, the, I missed, you know, all, sowing my wild oats or whatever you think. I missed all the fun I should have had while I was single. I didn't take advantage of that time while I was, sing, while I was single. Your, your family with young kids, it's a, it's a, it has a shelf life. Your singleness has a shelf life. Everything in life has a shelf life. Your current job has a shelf life. In other words, you probably won't work the job that you're working now for your entire life. You, where you live has a shelf life. You probably won't live in the same house your entire life. You may not live in the same city your entire life. You may, you may be here in college for four years, five years, if you're an engineering major, 13 years. You know, like, you're where, like, where you're like you know what, I'm here for now, but you're not here forever. And where you are now is temporary. But while you're here, it's still a stewardship. 
while it's temporary. In other words, the reason I say this is you will not get to live in this season of life forever. There will be a moment and there will be a time in life where this season will, will turn into the next season. And all of us are far too good at looking ahead and going, well, someday, you know, while we're single, we go, well, someday I'll be married and then life will get better. And then you get married and life isn't automatically better. So you think, well, let's have kids because that'll make life better. And those of you guys who have kids, you're like, <laughs> what were we thinking? And then you have kids and you have the first one. And then you're like, well, now we need to have a second one. And someday the kids will be older. And someday I'll be making more money and I'll be working in a different job. And someday we'll be able to upgrade the house. And someday we'll be able to upgrade the car. And I'm just telling you, if you're always looking ahead to someday, you will miss what God has for you today. So don't get in the habit of look ahead, look ahead, look ahead. Look at where you are right now. Appreciate where you are right now. Live well where you are right now and be a good steward of where you are and what God has given you right now. So your, your life is a stewardship. It's temporary. And finally, you're accountable. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, you won't be the only person looking back on your life, judging your life. Is that a sobering thought? I think that's a sobering thought. That at the end of the day, while, while I don't want to look back at my life and have regrets, I don't want to someday stand before a holy God who will judge my life and have him go, you missed the mark. You missed the mark while your kids were young. You missed the mark in those first few years as a pastor of the church. You missed those marks as a husband. You missed those marks as a like, I, I don't want to have those moments. I, like, if, if, I, if I'm accountable, it means that someone else besides me will judge my life and will judge the choices that I made and will judge the decisions that I made and judge how I treated people at every step along the way. Your life is a stewardship. Everything we have right now, it's temporary. It will not last forever. And, it, and someday there will be a forever. And in forever, we will be ultimately accountable for the decisions that we made today. You will be judged by the one who gave you everything in the first place. You will be judged on your stewardship. You will be judged by what happened in the temporary moments. You will be judged by the one who gave you everything that you have. You will be judged by the one who gave you your family. You'll be judged by the one who gave you your car. You'll be the one who judge you'll be judged by the one who gave you your intellect. You will be judged by the only one who's ultimately worthy to be a judge and that's God himself. And I just want to say, for, for all of us, I think when we look back at our lives, I think, we, I think when, in the moments that we're in right now, we would want God to say, you know what? Well done. Well done as a parent of a young kid. You lost your patience every once in a little bit, you know, once in a little while. But over the course of the years, you did a fantastic job raising that young boy and that young girl into being an amazing young man and young woman. That, that when, when you look back, that when we look back, I want God to say, well done, Chris, in how you parented Noble, and well done in how you parented Marvel. Well done in how you were married, how you were a married person to Jalen. Well done in how you pastored your church. Well done for you, how well done while you were in college. I mean, I think, I think most of us kind of hope that God has like a, a DVR function and he'll just eventually erase off the part of college. We're like, let's just hope God doesn't take that into account. But I think maybe, just maybe, we would want God to even say, well done while you were at NMSU. Well done while you were engaged. Well done in your first year of marriage. Well done in your eighth year of marriage. Well done in your 15th year of marriage. Well done, Tom and at 31 years. Well done in year 31. Joe, Joe and Jen, year, year 10, year 10. I mean, that in year 10, well done. I think we all want God to look at us and go, well done in this season. 
well done in that season. That whatever your season we're in, as temporary as it might be, as, as, as much as everything God's given us is, is a stewardship, that I think we want God to look at us and say, well done. Your life is a stewardship. Everything you have is temporary and you will ultimately be accountable to a holy God. And here's the thing, that awareness, it's either terrifying or it's inspiring. It could be terrifying thinking, whoa, 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 you're saying I'll be judged? I mean, like, I, I like the whole God of grace thing. I like the whole God of love thing. I'm not so on board with the God of judgment thing. Like, I don't really like that whole thing like that. And that, that you're talking about that there's the God who will judge my life. Like, that scares me. It could be scary or it could be inspiring. To know in advance that there, is a, that there is a life beyond this life and that what we do and choose in this life matters, it's a blessing from God. That God has let you know and has let me know in advance there's a judgment to come. And what I've given you, I've given you for a reason. I've given it for a season, so it's temporary. And I will ultimately judge what you've done. And I want to say, well done. It can be terrifying or it can be inspiring. I hope this is one of those things that actually catches us in the right way and inspires us to live a life that honors God with everything we've got, that says, God, if it all came from you, I want to honor you with all of it. If it's temporary, I want to use it. I want to live the best way that I possibly can to honor you right now because I don't have this moment again. And if, it, if I'm ultimately going to be accountable, I want to live in a way that, that would cause you, God, to say, well done. Every single one of us can choose to live that way today, tomorrow, and every day for the rest of our lives. Your life is a stewardship. It's temporary, and you're accountable. Let me pray for you.